Welcome to Prepare to Care, the AARP podcast with resources and tools to support the millions of family caregivers who provide unpaid care to their loved one. I am your host, Charlene Hunter-James. Caregiving may seem overwhelming when thinking in terms of legalities and finances. In fact, about three in five caregivers, almost 24 million people, have a paying job in addition to their caregiving responsibilities. More than a third cut back on personal spending to get the extra money they need to pay for a loved one's needs. That added financial responsibility can be taxing for caregivers who are helping a loved one manage their money and finances. What can you do? Wen Fong Bouchette owns her own nonprofit group for financial education. She is joining us today to talk about finances and tools available to you, the caregiver. Here, her money management tips coming up on Prepare to Care. Ms. Bruchette, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Charlene. What is the name of your nonprofit and what do you do? Well, first of all, I represent Houston Money Week. Houston Money Week is a nonprofit where we provide free financial educations every April. And the way it works is we partner with all the communities, all the banks, all the private sector to promote financial literacy. Think about Houston. How many people have no idea how much they have in their bank account? I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the sad part of it is a lot of them are saddened with the debt. And that's what the whole purpose of this nonprofit group is about, is really provide free education. We will go into schools. We'll provide education. We go to community. We provide how to finance in businesses. And we even provide credit, debt, anything to help the community. And all that is for free. Oh, that's an excellent resource. And as you said, so many people would benefit from that kind of information. And unfortunately, a lot of them have to address it when it's a crisis. So we certainly can appreciate the community education effort that you are doing. Being a caregiver is challenging enough. Without having to manage someone's money, what steps should you take to ensure you don't mishandle this financial responsibility? I think, first of all, I myself is a believer you've got to separate your accounts. For example, coming from a banking background, by the way, Charlene, I spent over 25 years in the banking industry before I started my own company, nonprofit and also for profit, where I've seen everyone just commingles their mm-hmm. account. And as a caregiver, you have to make sure that you only manage specific accounts. For example, mandatory account. What exactly is going to take care of the person that the bill's going to get paid for? And one of the recommendations is instead of adding that person to a joint owner, because there's a risk to that, is have that person to be added as a power of attorney. That way, if one passes this, the funds is going to the one that this person is going to be directed to. So that's how I recommend it. Really, really have that separation between who gets the money at the end or who is actually handling the money during this time. You want to say that one more time because that's so important. Well, I think what I have seen is a lot of mom, let's just use mom for example, she added two daughters to her account. What happened is the daughter A misappropriated the fund, which this is something that I have seen on a regular basis, and daughter B cannot, have, cannot do anything about that. Why? Because when you're joint owners, you're part of the ownership. 
And that's the reason why I still recommend anyone's considering as a caregiver using that person to be added to that account, only give a specific account and only add it as a power of attorney instead of the joint account. That way, when this person passes on, the person as a caregiver does not have the authority to manage the account anymore. So that's the distinction right there. Whereas if I'm the joint owner, I have access to the funds. This is true. Well, what free and practical tools are available to people, and in particular caregivers? And I think you just made one important point um, for us to consider. Well, one other thing about the caregiver is you have to understand there's emotionally draining part already. I myself is a caregiver, so and you as well, Charlene. So we all understand the challenge is just in managing the day-to-day of the loved one. But you have everything prepared in advance because you just never know you're going to become a caregiver. So having a medical power of attorney in place, number one. Having a HIPAA release. Have an understanding what is going to happen to the body, directed to the doctor, and most important thing, either have a will or a trust. Because if you don't have all this in place before someone becomes incapacitated, for example, someone's actually having dementia, it gets very, very complicated and gets very, very messy. So it doesn't matter what age you are right now, regardless of your age, have an estate planning. <coughs> it is a very simple process, and especially have a guardianship appointed. Because what, do you have a, what if the loved one has a child, a minor? Who's going to take care of that minor? Um, you say all of that, and it sounds somewhat simple, but you know to have a lot of those documents drafted, uh, one has to go to an attorney, and sometimes um, they may not be able to afford that. And so you have uh, family members who end up with, as you say, confusion and other kind of challenges because that has not been laid out in advance. And of course, many people enter the role of caregiving at a time of crisis particularly if you're long-distance caregiver, as I am. And so it's hard to kind of pull all of that together once you're in that crisis mode. So say, talk a little bit again about the resources that might be available to give some guidance to those individuals who may not at this point be able to afford to have all of those legal documents prepared. And you, you made a very good point in terms of the limited resources. Mm-hmm. But one thing I think from the financial perspective, to make sure that everybody gets added to be a beneficiary on the account. And the reason they added the beneficiary to the account, this is a free. You just go to the any financial institution. Doesn't matter how much you have in the bank account. It pa- it bypasses the probate. It goes directly to the beneficiary of your designation. So if I have, let's say for example my husband and I and I have a kid Instead of waiting something to happen, or actually, excuse me, the child can go into the bank and claim the money if, I, if both of us passes away. So those are very simple, non-cost way to guarantee that the beneficiary get the resource, get the funds that, that's needed. It. So as a caregiver especially, this avoids a lot of sibling rivalries. And but one still has to kind of lay out when you have multiple 
uh, beneficiaries uh -huh. the proportion of inheritance that one receives. You're absolutely right. And this becomes even trickier. And that's the reason why, regardless what age you are right now, anytime you open up a bank account, must please designate who the beneficiary is going to be. Please then designate the percentage of that. And that way, this avoid all the complication. In addition to that, Charlene, a lot of times people put all of their pricey documents in the safe deposit box, but they don't have the right people to access that. And that, it gets to be really, really messy, especially during all those proceedings. So recommendation is, in one instance, you've got to make sure whoever wants to be accessed to the safe deposit, get them to be added as a joint owner for that part. So that mm -hmm. itself is a very, very key point in terms of that. And a lot of what you're saying is really it's a matter of taking time and giving it the importance that it deserves. And because it has such a powerful impact, uh, if you don't, at some point. And if I may ask, Charlene, uh -huh. I think one thing people always forget, long-term care. This is something there's a misunderstanding of, oh, the government's going to pay for it. The Medicare's going to pay for it. I couldn't agree with you more. In we that hear it all sad. the time. And people really yeah. thinking, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. But they yeah. don't realize it. That is and not that's why community education is so important because many people think, well, moms, you know, and I've heard it, mom's on Medicare, and so Medicare is going to take care of it. And they really don't understand the scope of coverage of, of some of the public benefit programs. And especially in a lot of those public programs, like Medicaid, for example, mm -hmm. there's a planning process. Mm -hmm. You just can't go to the state and mm -hmm. apply and mm -hmm. thinking, mm -hmm. I'm going to get that. And again, everything goes down to proper planning. That's why you got to have a family meeting. That's why you have to lay down everything in advance. It's almost like you have to have a family conversations mm -hmm. every quarter because things change rapidly. And the better that mom and dad or whoever is taking care of that with the kids, mm -hmm. the, open, the, the better the open communication, the better everyone is going to be. Because the last thing we want to do is have civil rivalry. And you know, right. it gets to be real And bad. one of the things that AARP um, really stresses in its prepare to care uh, educational booklet and when we do our presentations uh, is number one start the conversation and you're so right sitting down with members of the family to talk about all of the aspects that will be uh, involved in the care of your loved one and it is so important that all of the key people are at the table to have an opportunity for that input but also to know what will be um, done. And you know, it's such an unpleasant conversation <laughs> to it have. Can be. No it one can wants be. to think about the bearer services. No one wants to talk about that. But you and I know when the crisis hit, and that's where no one is going to be able to make the sound decision. Right. And so, speaking of the long term care, you really have to start thinking about when you're 40. It's no longer just that's 50 right. now. And most people with 40, they're still in earning power, they're still thinking having a family, right? So that is something that I cannot stress in that planning. Education, there's a lot of free resources out there. I know there's a group, and there's a group that's called National Academy of Elderly Law. Right. And mm -hmm. um, that itself is a group of attorneys that mm -hmm. they will give you, provide some real, really sound advice, and I think mm -hmm. that's definitely strong. And again, this is something that I re regularly mm -hmm. 
just recommend folks that really re- reach out. And I know the um, um, Texas Aging, I think there are certain aging group that's going to provide a lot of wonderful and even United Way, 211, right? That's if there are certain things that you had, they will give you the referral. They will direct you to the right resources. I think a lot of times that we have all the information without fingertips. We just don't know how to navigate that. And accessing that information is so important. AARP in its Prepare to Care document has several pages that list resources uh, that are available to um, potential caregivers. And let me just say, we're talking about caregiving. And caregiving, it can be older adults, it can be middle-aged adults, it can be a child that requires long-term care services. And so we want to make sure that as you um, assume this role as a caregiver, that you do make yourself available to uh, resources that can help you in your caregiving journal. But certainly important is that conversation with family. So if there are um, any additional resources that you would like to mention regarding the financial education piece and the community programs that you all conduct? Definitely, and I would definitely recommend um, Houston Money Week, HW, okay. HoustonMoneyWeek.org. Okay. And again, that's HoustonMoneyWeek.org. And we've got events that's coming up from the first week of April. You're going to see all the program, and again, it goes from the north to the south and the, the west to the uh, east. All the community is going to be covered, and I definitely recommend anyone that has any questions, instead of going look on the Internet, because sometimes the Internet, um, if it's not coming from the person that delivered the information, they might not know it. They might know right. the right answer. And, and this is free, right? That is correct. Okay. That's absolutely free. Give us the date again one more time. And that's going to be from the first week of January. I'm sorry, first <laughs> week of April. We're ready to pass that. First week of April. Okay. First week of April 2020. Well, we are about uh, out of time, and you've just heard from Wen Fong Bouchat with the Bliss Financial a local nonprofit group focusing on financial education. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us and our audience. As always, if you thought this podcast was helpful, or if you have friends or family who are new to caregiving, invite them to follow the Prepare to Care podcast at iTunes, SoundCloud, or at www.aarp.org Houston. P-T-C. Take our Prepare to Care podcast survey to help us improve future episodes or find other caregiving planning and local resources to help you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening and as always, thanks for caring.